this morning we're going to be talking about what it means to be a covenant community or really where this whole idea of covenant came from and uh, what it means to us today. This is really the first message in the series, uh, but because of my schedule in early January, we had to postpone this. And so we've, we've really, over the last three weeks, highlighted the responsibilities of being a part of a covenant community, persistently participating in the life of your church, all right, which begins with being here. Now, I know, talking to those of you that are seated right out in front of me, you're here, and praise the Lord for it. Uh, we are still praying and, and asking people who, who stayed home uh, originally because of the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, but now it's time to come back, uh, and, and we desperately want you back uh, in our service right here in the auditorium with us, participating on a weekly basis. We need you here, and uh, we, would, we would encourage you to come back and take part if you were able to do that. We also talked about sacrificial service, how part of our persistent participation within the life of the church is not just being here, but it's also serving in some capacity. Every one of us has gifts that God has given us, spiritual gifts that God uh, distributed uh, according to his own sovereignty and purpose so that we could be the strongest possible church imaginable. Uh, again, any one of us, gifted though we may be, uh, is not able to carry out all of the functions of the church independently. We need one another. Where, where one of us is lacking or weak, others of us will step in and find uh, strength in that area of their life. And so that together... Uh, we serve the Lord wholeheartedly. We serve uh, our, our, and love our neighbor as ourself. We reach out to the community with the gospel. It requires all of us sacrificially serving. And then, of course, what we've already mentioned this morning, this whole idea of financial faithfulness. We need every member of this church uh, to be faithful financially, uh, to give according to what God has, has entrusted to you. Uh, and, and if everyone would do that... Uh, there would be very little call for special offerings in this church. There would always be an abundance available for the needs that arise. And so that's what we've been talking about. We as a church, we as Christians have been called by God to become a part of a covenant community. This thing that we call Christianity, this thing that we call our life in Christ. Yes, there are certainly individualistic aspects of it, but I believe that... Far greater than that is this corporate aspect of our Christianity. God calls us to himself, and then he calls us together so that we can do what, uh, again, no one of us could have ever possibly done by ourselves. And so that's what a covenant community is. And really, this, this word covenant, uh, if you're not completely familiar with that, and I know sometimes it's, it's a little bit confusing, but a covenant is an arrangement or an agreement uh, between two parties whereby they enter into a relationship involving benefits, mutual benefits, and mutual responsibilities. And let me say this, God has related to his people through covenants from the very beginning, all right? Even in the Garden of Eden, there was what we call the Adamic covenant. God had a covenant with Adam and Eve. And of course, what happened? 
Well, they violated that covenant and ultimately were expelled from the Garden of Eden. And that was just the beginning of a cycle that we see throughout the Old Covenant, the Old Testament history of Israel, and right up to this very moment. God enters into covenant with his people, and then unfortunately God's people violate the covenant. Now, what we're going to be talking about this morning is what the Bible refers to as the New Covenant. All right, the New Covenant in Jesus. Uh, that's what we want to focus our attention on this morning. And let me just say this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all right, if you have trusted him to be your Savior and Lord, you're a part of this new covenant, all right? Uh, that's what makes you a part of the new covenant. If you are in Christ, then you are in this new covenant, all right? And again, this new covenant is a relationship, first and foremost, initiated by God, established by God for the benefit and the blessing of all of us, all right, but not simply all of us. Uh, it, it also in, involves benefits and, and blessings uh, to, to God himself, uh, to uh, the people of this world. You know, God's blessings are not just lavished upon the church, right? Uh, I mean, even those outside of the church experience the blessings of God as a result of the people of God who live in the world side by side with them. So this new covenant is this relationship initiated, and it's very important that we remember that, that, that God took the initiative to, to establish this covenant for us uh, in order to bless us and to especially bless those who by faith receive his Son as Savior and Lord, and who commit themselves in turn to accomplishing the purposes of God. That's part of our responsibility, right? One of the things that God does in us when he changes our heart, and we're going we're gonna to talk about what God does in the heart of an individual and, and of a group uh, when, he, when he enters into a covenant with them, at least in the new covenant, what he did. He changes our heart in the sense that he gives us new desires, one of the things that I never really seriously contemplated as a young man growing up, even though I had big ideas and I had goals, uh, I never thought about accomplishing the purposes of God, that that was something that needed to be a priority in my life. But when I became a Christian, when God saved me, suddenly the purposes of God began to really matter. What is it that God has called me to do? And that's a question I hope that you'll contemplate this morning. What is it that God has called you to do? What is it that God has called you to do in relationship to this church that you are now a part of? Again, to fulfilling the responsibilities that he's entrusted to you within this body of believers. That's what we want to think about today. Accomplishing those purposes. The principles of a covenant relationship, again, extend all the way back, as we said, to the Garden of Eden. Continue right up to the present. And here's the thing. If we want to experience the covenant blessings that God has promised to lavish upon us, then what it requires of us is a commitment to these responsibilities. A commitment to pursuing the purposes of God in our own lives, to loving and serving the Lord God, and to loving and serving our fellow man. I, I want us to read together in Jeremiah. This is just really going to 
cover point one of this message, and then we're going to do what I don't normally do. We're going to, we're going to look at some verses uh, that are scattered throughout the Old Testament to kind of get a firm grasp of what it means uh, to be involved in a covenant community. But in Jeremiah 31, by the way, this is the only place in the Old Testament where these words, new covenant, are used. So the life that you and I are experiencing now, this covenant community that we are a part of this very moment was something that's, of course, has been in the heart of God, well, forever, uh, but was expressed all the way back during the days of, of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31, let me just read down through verse 34. This will be a good place for us to start in an understanding of covenant and covenant community. The Lord said through Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. We're going to be talking about that uh, covenant that they broke in our Exodus series. God says, I took them by the hand, I led them out of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. There's a, there's a good indication of what a covenant involves. Uh, God refers here to the covenant of marriage uh, in a very real way. Uh, God had entered into the, a marriage covenant with Israel. He was a husband to them. And of course, the New Testament church, the New Covenant church, what do we refer to? We're referred to as the bride of Christ, right? So that image uh, of, of matrimony, marriage, is still very prevalent, I think, gives us a good understanding of what this covenant relationship is to be all about. Verse 33 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. Now, this is where the new covenant is different from, really better than the old covenant. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. We're not going to spend a lot of time dealing with that last phrase there. But, but think about this. You want to talk about the blessing of being a part of the covenant community? God says, because you're a part of this community, your sins have been forgiven, and he will not remember it against you anymore. Isn't that a wonderful thing? God has forgiven your sin, and he does not remember it anymore. You know, we, we try to forgive, don't we? Uh, you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, I can forgive them for what they did, but I'll never forget it. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? Because you're a part of this covenant community, God has not only forgiven your sin, he has forgotten your sin. When he deals with you, he does not deal with you as a sinner, but as a saint, washed in the blood of the Lamb. He sees you as without sin, just as he sees his son, Jesus. What a wonderful thing. So, if you've trusted Christ, 
If you received him as Savior and Lord, then you're a part of this covenant community. You enjoy the blessing, the benefit of being forgiven. Your sin forgotten by God. We could stop there and just rejoice the rest of the day, but we won't. We're going to talk about this covenant relationship. That's the first part of the message, this covenant relationship. Covenant is all about relationship, all right? Again, God has initiated and established a relationship with his people. Jeremiah, or God saying through Jeremiah, puts it this way, they shall know me. And I want to talk a moment about what that word know means. We've talked about it before. This word know, as it is used in this passage and others that I'm going to read to you in just a moment, is not simply talking about an intellectual exercise. All right? I can remember helping my children as they were in school with uh, learning their spelling words. And eventually we'd get to the place where I'd look at them and they'd say, okay, I know them. I know them all. And what they meant with, by that word know is that they had an intellectual grasp of how to spell these words and hopefully what these words meant if they had to define them, all right? And I think sometimes we get the idea when we read this word know in the Bible that that's what it's talking about or that's all that it's talking about. When the Bible speaks of God knowing us or that we will all know him, it's talking about something completely other than, beyond, greater than simply this head knowledge. There are lots of people in the world today, it always astounds me at the number of people, especially when they do surveys in the United States, uh, you know, when people that claim to be Christians, people that claim to know the Lord. I mean, it's such a high percentage uh, when these surveys are taken, you know, 75% of Americans. Do you know that if 75% of Americans really knew the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, our nation would be nothing like it is today? It would be a very different place in which we live. So we're not just talking about some head knowledge of knowing that maybe God is somewhere out there. Knowing that Jesus Christ was born 2,000 years ago. We're not talking about that kind of knowledge. I've said over the years, it's not like I would say when I, when, if someone were to ask me, uh, you know, do you know Abraham Lincoln? Well, I know of Abraham Lincoln. I know a few things about Abraham Lincoln. I know enough about him that I can respect him as the 16th president of the United States that fought the great civil war to end slavery in this country, that issued the Emancipation Proclamation. I know some things about Abraham Lincoln, but I don't really know Abraham Lincoln. And I think sometimes we content ourselves with knowing some things about God, knowing some things about the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing some things about our Bible, but in our heart of hearts, where it really matters, there's no concept of commitment to this God, to his word, to his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, no determination to follow after him. That's what this word know speaks of. It speaks of an intimate personal knowledge that arises between two persons who are completely committed to one another in a relationship that encompasses mind, body, emotion, will, I mean the entire person. So if someone is ever, would ever ask you, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what we should think of. Well, do I know the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I involved in this intimate relationship encompassing every aspect of my being? 
Am I wholeheartedly with everything within me committed to following Jesus, to obeying his word, to accomplishing his purposes? That's what it means to know the Lord. So I would ask you this morning, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Are you wholeheartedly committed to him, to obedience to his word, to following after him, serving him, loving him, serving the people of God, loving the people of God, serving your neighbor, and loving your neighbor as yourself? That's what it means to know me, God says. This same word is used in Genesis 4, just to give you an idea of how this word is used in the Bible. In Genesis 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. I think you can understand from that verse that that word knew or know means a little bit more than just having some sort of intellectual understanding or impression, all right? It goes far beyond that. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. That's what that word implies. It's also used in Amos chapter 3, verse 2, where God speaks of Israel saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Now let me just ask you this. God knows everything, doesn't he? Is there a family on the face of the earth that God doesn't know as far as have an intellectual understanding or awareness of? But God says of Israel, only you have I known. Only you have I entered into this relationship of love with this intimate, personal, purposeful relationship. Only with God and his people do we have that word used in its full context. So this covenant relationship, this covenant community, is a community of people who know the Lord. All right? That's what makes you a part of the covenant community. You know God. You know God through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. And then he kind of explains a little further there what it means for us to know him. He says, I will put my laws within them and write it on their hearts. Now, covenants up until this time, uh, well, the Mosaic covenant. Where did God write his laws for the Mosaic covenant? He wrote it on the tablet stones, right? The stone tablets that... Uh, that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. Uh, that's where God wrote his word. He put it in a book, the Bible, again, written down, recorded for us to have. The problem with that kind of covenant and, and the problem that we see throughout the history of the nation of Israel is this. It's, it's sin, right? God's people continually throughout history over and over and over again violated the covenant that God had written on the stone tablets or inscribed in his word, the Bible. Uh, so this time he did, it, he did it differently. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. Again, what I started off talking about this change that takes place in a person's life when, when God saves them. God changes our heart, doesn't he? Suddenly, desires that were not part of our makeup are, are now prominent 
in our lives. Again, I can remember uh, never in my life had I desired to really know the Word of God, to understand God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. That, that was something that was interesting to me perhaps, but not, not essential. But when I became a Christian, suddenly knowing and understanding the Word of God became essential. It was a, it was a driving force in my life that had not been there, and it wasn't something that I had done. I hadn't just determined that I'm going to want to know what the Bible says. No, God wrote his law within me. No longer was the word of God something that was purely external, there for me to notice if I chose to. Now it was something within me. Spirit of God dwelling within me, prompting me, compelling me to know the Lord, to know his word to follow the Lord in obedience, to understand so that I could share with others what God's word said. Again, so this idea of a covenant relationship with God is indeed something that's very personal. This is something that God does for you. And he does it within you. Okay? Again, it was a big difference. The external law of God written on tablets and inscribed within the word of God was was something that was supposed to, or at least it was viewed as something that was supposed to change the character of mankind. As I observe and obey these words of God, it will change me. And of course, there's some truth to that. But in the new covenant, God did this changing first. He changed us on the inside, and that inward change became an external, an outward change. Things began to change on the outside, uh, in one of Jesus' confrontations with the Pharisees. And the, and the Pharisees, of course, were the most strict religious group on the planet. I mean, they scrupulously observed uh, the Old Testament commandments. As a matter of fact, they didn't stop with the Old Testament commandments. They added hundreds of commandments themselves that they observed. And this is what Jesus said to me, to them. He said, he said to the Pharisees, he said, you're like the the elements in the Lord's Supper, in the communion service. You're like the, the, the plate or the, the bowl. He said, you look beautiful on the outside. You're all shiny and clean and glimmering. He said, but on the inside, you know what? You're full of dead men's bones. You're like whitewashed sepulchers, he said. Tombstones or monuments that, that look beautiful on the outside, but beneath something very different. So what the new covenant did, the new covenant, well, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, what, what needs to happen, he said, you need to clean the inside of the cup first so that the outside might become clean. Again, the problem is, can you clean the inside of the cup? No, you can't do that. Only Jesus can do that, but he did. He cleaned the inside of the cup. He started within. He gave you a new heart. He wrote his law within you. Uh, and as a result of that, now the outside has become clean and becomes cleaner as we go through life determined to live in accordance with the law that God has written on our hearts. So this whole idea of covenant is a very, is a very personal thing, something that God did between him and you. He, he did this for you. Uh, but it doesn't stop there. This idea of covenant, as we've said, then becomes corporate in its nature because as 
a Christian, as a participant in the new covenant, as one upon whose heart God has now written the law of God, I am now ushered into relationship with others who have experienced that same life-changing thing. You. And now together, well, God says this, I will be their God, plural, I will, and, and they will be my people, plural. There's this idea of a plurality, all right? I'm not the only Christian on the planet, and I'm not supposed to live my life as if I'm the only Christian on the planet. I now live my Christian life in community with other Christians. And let me tell you, that's where it gets difficult, right? I mean, it's hard enough to live my Christian life all by myself. To obey God, to spend time in his word, to pray as I ought to pray, to serve as I ought to serve, to give as I ought to give. That's hard enough. But then when I have to do it with others, right? Even more difficult. Because you know what we find, as we've said so often around here, is that you others don't always agree with me in how we ought to live this Christian life. You want to live the Christian life the way you think it ought to be lived. I want to live the Christian life the way I think it ought to be lived. But God says, look, you're all a part of this new covenant. You need to live it together. And so we need to find ways to live in harmony as Christians. To work hand in hand. To stand shoulder to shoulder to be with one another and for one another. You know, God is Emmanuel, right? God with us. And we've talked about the fact that what that means is that He is near to us and He is for us. As Christians, full of the Holy Spirit of God, we're to be near one another and for one another. And you know what? Beyond that, we're also to be near the world and for the world. As Christians... As a church, we're not to withdraw ourselves into some little group that never ventures outside the walls of the church. No, we're to be a group of people engaged in the community at large, which means that we're going to be involved with people who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We're called to love them, to share the gospel with them, so that perhaps in the days ahead, they'll become a part of this covenant community. So when you think of covenant and covenant community, think of a relationship, a relationship that God initiated, that God established, that God now sustains, that we are all blessed and benefiting by day by day. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. You know, that's the wonderful thing about being in Christ. Uh, We're all in Christ. There are no big Christians and little Christians. All right? There are no important Christians and insignificant Christians. I mean, I know sometimes we get the idea that there there are, but in reality, there aren't. We are all in Christ. We all have a role to play. We all have a responsibility, and we equally share in the blessings of the covenant Relationship. So let's talk about the responsibilities a little bit. We've already done this, and so I'm going to break this down, this covenant responsibility, really just into two parts. First and foremost, I believe, we are responsible to our Heavenly Father, right? I mean, He's the one that initiated the covenant with us. He's the one that established the covenant with us. We have a responsibility to the God who loved us and gave Himself for us. And don't you think that that's reasonable? 
I mean, God loved you enough to save you in spite of your sin, to forgive you of those sins, to forget those sins, to make you a part of a covenant community where you can enjoy the blessings of being a part of the family of God, where you can serve and exercise your spiritual gifts to your heart's content. We reasonably owe God an obligation to be responsible to him. In Genesis 17.1, you don't have to turn there. Let me just read this to you. Of course, God is speaking to Abraham at this point. And he said, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, we hear that word blameless, and it's a word used throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. It does not mean sinless. Okay? God knows us. He knows that we're not sinless. He knows that we can never be sinless. Thus the new covenant. (laughs) So God says, I am almighty God. I'm the one who initiated this covenant. I'm the one who established this covenant. Now, your responsibility is to walk before me. In other words, to live in light of who I am. To live in accordance with who I am. And to be blameless. Again, your life should now be characterized. Your life should now be patterned by a way of life that trusts God, that obeys God, that lives for God. In Exodus 19, verses 7 and 8, Moses came before the people of Israel and and he said this. He said, he said, well, I'll just read it. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them these words that the Lord had commanded him. Again, specifically the, the, the Ten Commandments. And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And that's something that you and I need to say. We need to express that in our hearts. That needs to be a part of our commitment to the Lord. Lord, all that you have said, all that you have commanded... We will do. Those are easy words to say, aren't they? But as we all know, difficult to uphold. And again, throughout the history of God's people, we have seen the difficulty of upholding that promise. Yes, Lord, we'll keep your commandments. Yes, Lord, we'll obey your word. Yes, Lord, we'll, we'll accomplish your, your purposes, even if we have to sacrifice, even if we have to die in order to do it. And then time after time after time, God's people fail. They, they violate the covenant. And here's the wonderful thing. We haven't really talked about this. Even though a covenant is an agreement between people where there are mutual benefits and mutual responsibilities, the good thing about it being in covenant with God is that no matter what you do, no matter how miserably you fail to keep the covenant you're into the bargain, God's faithful. He keeps his covenant. He keeps his promise. He pours out his blessings. So we have a responsibility to this loving, gracious, merciful, heavenly Father. Deuteronomy 6.5 says it this way, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And of course, we could go on and on talking about loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. This is a part of the covenant responsibility, and it's for every one of us. If you're a part of this covenant community, then you have a responsibility to God Almighty, to trust, to obey, to serve, to give, to sacrifice. That's just a part 
of the covenant responsibilities. And then not only do we have a responsibility to, to God, our Father, but we have a responsibility to our family. We have to pass the knowledge, the, the understanding, the experience of this covenant on. You know, for centuries, man did not have copies of the Bible that they could hold in their hand. In other words, they couldn't buy. My grandmother bought me a, a copy of the Bible on my 12th birthday. I still have that Bible on my shelf. For centuries, though, there was no such thing as a, a Bible, at least not in the sense that we have it today. And so fathers and families were responsible for passing the Word of God on to their children verbally. Let me, let me read what it says here. Of course, you know this, this verse. It says, "In these words I command you today shall be upon your heart. Again, from, from Deuteronomy. Moses said, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, these are words. These are important words. These are essential words. These are words that ought to occupy your thoughts and your conversations. How many times when you're sitting around the house with your children or grandchildren does the word of God come up? It should. We ought to look for opportunities, teachable moments, if you want to call them that, to say, well, you know, this is what God's Word says. That's how important it is that we pass the Word of God on to our children and to our children's children. Again, this is something that we do together. And again, it's something that we do here. You know, on Wednesday nights, for some time now, uh, the emphasis of that Wednesday night service in our church has been on youth and children, all right? So our kids. And we have called upon you to serve in those areas, to, to help with the, basically with the religious education, the biblical instruction to young people and to children. We need your help. I guarantee you, Tyler would say amen if I, I said we need people to help in the Awana program. We do Awana because the emphasis in the Awana program is on the memorization of Scripture. Teaching our children the Word of God. Helping our children to hide the Word of God in their hearts. Doing exactly what we were commanded to do thousands of years ago as members of God's covenant family. This is what we should teach to our children, impart to our kids and our grandchildren and, and to all of those that God allows us to be a part of. You know, there are kids out there in our world today that don't have parents who are going to teach them the Word of God. They don't have grandparents that are going to teach them the Word of God. They have nobody that's going to teach them the Word of God unless we teach them the Word of God. And what a wonderful privilege it is. So we have a responsibility to our father, to our family, and of course, you know, we... Don't need to talk about it a whole lot, but to the world at large. We have a responsibility to our friends, to our neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then, of course, God rewards us for our effort in this way. I'm just going to name a couple of these covenant rewards. I believe that when you honor the Lord in, in this covenant relationship, peace will characterize your life. I mean, it's promised, again, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. One of the things that Jesus said to his disciples just before he, well, he departed this world. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace. Peace that you can't find in the world, he said. 
This is a, this is a different kind of peace. In, in Deuteronomy eleven twenty two through 25, this is what the Word of God says there. It says, For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in His ways, holding fast to Him, then the Lord your God will drive out all these nations before you. This was a promise that God was making to His people in the Old Testament as they prepared to enter into the promised land and take possession of it. He said, you're going to face some enemies and some battles. And you're going to look at these people and these towns and you're going to say, we can't do this. But God says, I promise you, you're going to be able to do it. And you know, we live in a world today where we face some enemies, some obstacles that look so much bigger than anything we're capable of. But God would say to us, look, I'm going to drive out all these nations, all these enemies before you. No one will be able to stand against you. Don't we need a promise like that in our lives today? No one will be able to stand against you, people of God. Not if you're walking in covenant with God. Not if you're trusting in Him. Not if you're refusing to lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledging Him, right? No one will be able to stand before you. You'll experience peace. Again, not the absence of war or conflict. There's always going to be war, isn't there? I mean, there's always war. No matter what period of our world's history you look at, there's always someone at war. There's always conflict. There's always violence. There's always hatred. There's always danger. Those things are just part and parcel of what it means to live in this current world. But God says, even in the midst of all of that, you can have peace. My peace. There can be a sense of calm, a sense of tranquility, a a sense of well-being. Everything is going to be all right. Why? Well, not because of what they're doing in Washington, D.C. My goodness. Our nation's leaders, my goodness. That's about the nicest thing I can say right now. My goodness. But we don't have to rest in the wisdom and the ability of what's happening in Washington, D.C., we have the Lord our God. We walk in His ways. We experience His peace. And not only peace, but something that we've been praying for, prosperity. Now, you know that we are not prosperity teachers in this church in the sense we don't teach that just because you're a child of God, you should be wealthy. At least not financially monetarily wealthy. We're wealthy. We're rich in deeds and spiritual things. But God says to his people in Deuteronomy 7.14, you'll be blessed above all peoples. There shall be no male or female barren among you or among your livestock. In other words, you're going to be taken care of. Everything is going to be fine. You're going to be successful. That word prosperity in the Bible really speaks of success. And it especially speaks of success in accomplishing God's purposes. And that's what we should want more than anything else. You know, you may want your children to be successful. And most of the time when we say that, we're talking about they're going to get a good job. They're going to live in a nice house. They're going to experience the good things, right, that come with with financial affluency. But prosperity in the Bible speaks of accomplishing the purpose of God, success in accomplishing God's purposes. That's what we really ought to be praying for our kids, is that they would be men and women who successfully accomplish the purposes of God. 
Joshua 1.8 says this. Again, God challenging his leader for the day. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it night and day so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So we meditate on the word of God. We, we immerse ourselves in God's word in order that we can do God's word. Not so that we can just accumulate knowledge about God's word, but so that we can put God's word to work practically in our lives. That's really the essence of wisdom. Did you know that? You want to be wise? Wise is knowing God's word and doing God's word. And then he said to Joshua, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Joshua would have understood that word prosperous to mean, this was, this was a, a definition of that word. It meant to be led along a good road, to have a good journey. We're all on this road, right, that God has placed us on. Now, I don't know about you, but I want the road to be good. And I want the journey to be good. And the way to help ensure that is to know God's word, to commit yourself to doing what God has commanded you to do. I believe then you'll experience these rewards of peace and prosperity uh, in the true biblical sense of those words. So church, at this point, it's really up to us, right? Is 2023 going to be a better year for us than 2022? I pray that it is. Commit yourself today to being here. To engaging in meaningful, sacrificial ministry. To giving in accordance to the blessings of God in your own personal life. To walking before God as a part of His covenant community, sharing in the responsibilities, and enjoying the blessings of what it means to be a Christian.